Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's online program of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Gloria Duffy, President and CEO of the club, and I'll be our moderator for today's very special program with Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, the Honorable Nancy Pelosi. The Commonwealth Club has, of course, shifted from in-person programs to virtual events, and we're so grateful for the support of our viewers. We appreciate your continued support of the club by visiting our website at commonwealthclub.org. We also want to remind you to submit questions for Speaker Pelosi via the chat room next to your screen, and I'll get to as many as possible during the program. Now, it's my great pleasure to introduce our guest, the Honorable Nancy Pelosi. As the U.S. grapples with COVID and an economy in crisis and with President Biden and Vice President Harris about to take office, we're pleased to talk with Speaker Pelosi about the direction of the country, plans for the new Congress, and the possibilities for breaking gridlock in Washington and the country in general. Speaker Pelosi is, of course, in her third term as the 57th Speaker of the House and is the first woman to serve in this role. She's represented San Francisco in Congress for 33 years, and I'm proud to have called Speaker Pelosi my friend for the past 35 years. Thank you so much for being with us, especially given all that is going on there in Washington and all that's on your plate, and welcome back to the Commonwealth Club, Madam Speaker. Thank you very much, Madam President Gloria Duffy. I'm honored to be at the Commonwealth Club in its perfect time in light of everything that is going on. But I also want to congratulate them for having you as president. Uh, you mentioned that we've been friends for over 35 years. I want everyone to know that we became friends on a trip to Central America that was sponsored by uh, the Columbia Foundation, Madeline Huss-Russell, some of you may have known her, sponsored a California trip to Central America during the Central American Wars, which I completely opposed. But Gloria, being the academic that she is, she went there and, and uh, we watched her in awe of her as she viewed things scientifically, academically. For example, if we visited an airfield, she would, she would be writing down how many... Uh, Russian uh, vehicles were there, or Russian parts, or this or that. She was making, not at what we were doing, taking an impression, having an impression, uh, but she was collecting data that would be very helpful in how we would go forward. So I've, I've been in awe of her for decades, and I'm so proud uh, that she's at the Commonwealth Club. And speaking of going back years, today, as many of you know, that when we're filming this, not maybe when you're seeing it, is the 79th anniversary of Pearl Harbor. 79th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, a day that would live in infamy, as President Roosevelt said. Following that, why it's important to mention now is a country came together and united to fight uh, uh, our foe and to win. In doing so, we lost about 291 that's the number of record Americans in World War II, 291. Right now, we're over 280 people who have died of the coronavirus, millions, in fact, about over 280, well on our way to surpass the number of Americans who died in World War II. It is absolutely essential that we come together in a united way to fight this virus, which has such an, made such an assault on the lives and the livelihood of the American people. 
and we must do it in the most science-based way. Science-based, not uh, defining it as a hoax or delay, denial, distortion or anything, but based on science. So right now in Congress, we're working on legislation to take us uh, into the next administration, which will be soon. And uh, the whole dynamic of our debate has changed because we have a new president who was interested in science, just scientific decisions and recommendations, uh, wear your mask, socially distancing, uh, testing, tracing, treatment, and the rest that have been ignored. And also, uh, we have a vaccine. It's pretty exciting. In a few days, the committee will approve or question or whatever, but move forward the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, another week, the Moderna vaccine. And uh, before you know it, uh, the governor has a plan on how we would receive what comes to California. Uh, But the vaccine is not an answer for everyone right now. We have to take science's view on how we go forward. So I thank you, um, Gloria Duffy, for your leadership, for the invitation to be here. And I know we're going to have a conversation. I look forward to uh, further talking about anything that you wish to talk about uh, as we go forward. Uh, I'm so excited about the fact that uh, whatever the party of a person, it's about science, it's about the future. I just want to make one other historic reference, and that is my husband and I are dear friends and admirers of George Schultz. I totally disagree with him politically. I mean, totally. Uh, but I love him dearly personally. And he sent us, um, he, Charlotte, sent us what would be his 100th birthday coming up, I think, the 12th of December. But, of course, we can't have that party every year we celebrate. And I think I still have in my freezer the cake from his 95th birthday. But in any event, he sent us the book that he just put forth, which is very exciting. And he also sent us a coin. And on the coin, it says trust. And he says, trust is the currency of the realm. Isn't that beautiful? He also has a pamphlet in there that says what you should know after 100 years. But but let's go back to trust being the currency of the realm. As always, whether you agree with them or not, politically or wars in Central America-wise, we do agree that trust is the currency of the realm, and we have to trust each other across party lines, across different views, uh, so that we can defeat this foe to our lives and livelihood, and to do so, again, based on science and trust. Thank you, Madam Speaker, and thank you for your kind words. Uh, I knew on that trip to Central America that you were headed for great things. (laughs) I wasn't a member of Congress at the time. I was a volunteer in the Democratic Party. <laughs> and uh, I could see the in, the dedication, the grit, the intensity that you've brought to your job. So thank you for your service. Um, George Schultz, uh, 100 years old next week, he and I were just on a program at the Commonwealth Club about the new book. And my goodness, I have no, uh, have no, uh, thought that I'm going to be that lucid at the age of 100 if I even live that long. But um, just about that book, it's a very interesting book in which he and a demographer and some other scholars look at the trends in the U.S. and they um, project that the U.S. is the only country that has the economic, technological, demographic trends 
to um, lead in solving global problems, whether it's climate change, uh, health, global health problems, nuclear proliferation. So um, it's a very optimistic book that we are the only country who can lead, looking comparatively at Russia, China, et cetera. So what do you think about American leadership? Uh, do we, we're, we're a bit beaten down at the moment by this virus and our political troubles and so on. What do you envision for American leadership, and especially on the global scene? Well, it, American leadership is absolutely essential in the world because uh, of who we are, this great country, an economic giant of security uh, leader, and the, uh, the democracy, which is the strength of our country, the freedom of expression of ideas. And George Schultz would even say that in countries where you can have freedom of expression, you have a, a, a better product than in where it is uh, suppressed. The, uh, the multilateralism has been central uh, to our leadership in the world, respect for NATO, respect for all of the institutions that came forth at the end of World War II, but needing to be refreshed and reviewed to see how they meet the needs. Uh, the issue of climate change is an issue that affects everything. It's about our national security. Our, our national security experts tell us you must address this issue if you're going to be safe. And, and security-wise, health people, going, you must address this issue. You're going to be safe, clean air, clean water, protecting the planet physically. You must be, if it's about jobs, it's about uh, green new technology, we must be preeminent in the world. So it's clear in that issue where America has been so much in the lead in protecting the environment and now protecting the planet. But it goes beyond that as well into national security uh, and the multilateralism being very important in that economically and national security. So when we as Congress people visit a country, our, we have a purpose. Our purpose is about our national security. It's about our economic security. And it's about governance. It's about being a good example to the world of governance, ending corruption, honoring uh, democracy and the voice of all people. So the values that we have in that respect uh, are, are not by dictating to others how we think they should, but by the power of our example. Mm -hmm. So the country, we've, told, we've been told over and over again, and the last year I've been to uh, Normandy for the anniversary in 75 years. I've been to the Battle of the Balls 75 years, been to Auschwitz, 75 years of the freeing of Auschwitz to Israel to celebrate that to Munich for the um, for the um, Munich Security Co Conference. In all of those places, America saying uh, the, the those countries are saying America is essential to global security, to global uh, peace in, in the world. It's nice to have positive thoughts like that as we come out of this pandemic and this crisis. I wanted to ask you, we're in an interim period right now uh, between, you know, with the election of uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris, but with President Trump still in office. Uh, how do you feel about the state of the country right now in this interregnum that we're in? Well, I'm counting the days until we have a new president. I'm disappointed that my colleagues in Congress have not had 
the patriotism to say the election is over. I think 27 of a couple hundred members have said the election is over. But anyway, putting that aside, uh, one of the things we're trying to do now is to to end, uh, keep government open when in negotiation on a bill, an omnibus bill to do just that, as well as a COVID package to include in that to take us into the future. This COVID package is again different, as I mentioned earlier, because we have a new president who does care about science and we have a vaccine, which is, gives us hope. But in the meantime, we still have to take precautions. And again, uh, part of what we want to do that is different from that is to return to a place of clean government. Bigger, better health care, lowering the cost of health care by lowering the cost of prescription drugs, honoring pre-existing condition benefit, etc. Bigger paychecks by building infrastructure of America in a green way, take us into the future, and cleaner government to have uh, the public have confidence that their voice is as important as anyone else's by reducing the money, the role of big, dark money in politics. So that's the path that we are on going into the next election. Uh, I'd really rather not spend too much time on the current soon-to-be ex-president of the United States. Um, upward and onward, let's go into the future. But right now... One of the fights that we have that is relevant, very important and relevant to this discussion is in our appropriation bill, uh, we're trying to stop the president for ending the civil service and firing the people who are not political appointees, just people who are at these agencies that he just doesn't want to have there, replace them so that Biden's uh, opportunities are tied down. And as I say, these are not political appointments. These are civil servants who are public servants who've dedicated their lives to civic responsibility, but he wants to end that. Just another example of the disrespect. So how will, what are the remedies to protect the civil service? Well, we have to protect the civil service. I mean, in other words, there are a certain number of employees that a new president hires, but the scientists, for example, at the FDA, they're not making political decisions. They're not ha hastening a process because the president wants a vaccine sooner than it has gone through the clinical trials and passes all the tests so that it has, it's safe and that people have confidence in it and they will take it. So just to use that as an example, and that's one of the places that he wants to do this. And so the morale in the government of people who are there, one administration to the next, Again, scientists and the rest uh, know that their jobs are protected if they are doing, you know, as they are doing the right thing and not catering to one party or the other. And so we are trying to put in the bill of prohibition on the president doing just those firings. Say you worked at one of these places and you've been a scientist there a long time or an economist at the, the Office of Management and Budget or just name any place and you're being told you're going to be fired because we don't like the decision of your department. Well, you can lose your benefits, you can lose everything, and, and yet you don't want to quit your job, but you have a family uh, to provide for. So this is a, a very undermining of our democracy and of our um, civil service, which it, no president should go to that place. But we're trying to stop it in our appropriations bill. We'll see. 
Terrific. I've had that experience myself coming in as a presidential appointee in the Clinton administration and into the Pentagon where there was an attorney, there was a budget expert, there was a Navy commander, there were policy experts, all of whom were in place in the civil service for me to come in and work with them on dismantling weapons of mass destruction in the former Soviet Union. And they really, they did the bulk of the work and they had the history and they knew how to make the budget work in the Pentagon and so on. So these civil service employees are absolutely essential to the functioning of our government, but for big, bold projects too, where a new administration needs to come in, hit the ground running and try to get important things done. Thank you for sharing that experience, and thank you for your great work in the dismantling. That was historic, working with our um, our leadership, non Luger, um, uh, our secretary from Stanford, um, Bill Perry, Bill Perry, and, and all of that. I love going to his office where he's, this used to be where the nuclear weapons were, and that's a field of sunflowers. Yes, I, I have that one of those pictures too. And so, yeah, absolutely critical. So good luck with that, uh, that bill. Um, what, so just building on that, what are your legislative priorities in general uh, between now and the inauguration? Well, let me just say I named some because our agenda when we won the House in 2018 continues to be our agenda for the people, lower health care costs, bigger paychecks, building the infrastructure, cleaner government. In addition to that, though, uh, and I'm, I'm not saying this is between now and the inauguration, uh, but in the course of that time, uh, we have passed all these bills in the House now. Uh, they're sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk but mostly all of them have bipartisan support. Again, for the people, cleaner government, moving forward act, which is building the infrastructure in a green way, lower drug costs, that's HR3, HR4, Voting Rights Act. The Voting Rights Act, why would they not pass the Voting Rights Act? Uh, the Equality Act, the Equality Act removes discrimination in everything in our lives for the LGBTQ community has bipartisan support of the Dream and Promise Act to save our dreamers, but also to go beyond that for a fair uh, immigration policy where everyone can reach his or her fulfillment. Remembering that our immigrants are the constant reinvigoration of America. Uh, the, it's, it's, it's who we are as a nation, a nation of immigrants. Let's appreciate that rather than denigrate it. Uh, then the Paycheck Fairness Act, Women in the Workplace, all those things, Paycheck Fairness, uh, the um, Violence Against Women Act, those that comp. And then very important to us, H.R. 8, which is uh, the background check legislation, so named 8 because we introduced it on the eight-year anniversary of um, Gabby Giffords being shot in her district and people dying from that. And so we want that that 80 some percent of the American people support background checks, common sense background checks, including hunters and NRA members and the rest. It's just some people in D.C. who are at the handmaidens of the uh, gun lobby that, that won't let that go forward. And then climate action now, the climate action now, that legislation we passed and uh, we have proposals to uh, implement that. So that that was sort of an array. But it really, all of it is about 
jobs. It's about ending inequality in our country. It's about good paying jobs, access to health care, uh, ending disparities. And our overarching theme for all of us will be how do we make our system, our capitalist system, our system, our free market system work for many more people in our country? Fairness in our economy in terms of uh, uh, opportunity and respect for the value of work. So in the shorter term, as you know now, with everything closing down again, at least out here in California, there's a lot of suffering going on. Small businesses, uh, employees, people laid off, etc. How are things looking for uh, a package of assistance? Um, how, 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 how is it likely, if so, when? Well, it, we have to have something. As I said, uh, we're viewing this in a different light now that we have a, a, we know that we'll have to have a bigger bill in a matter of a month. So right now we can settle for a smaller package as we go forward that has uh, the the, uh, recognition that on December 26th, unemployment benefits will stop. That can't happen. We must protect uh, the American people from that. The, uh, the issues that relate to state and local government, which are the providers of, of our existence, whether it's um, health care providers and public health uh, facilities or police and fire, our first responders who are some of the first on the scene for some of this COVID, teachers, 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 transportation, sanitation, health, again, I said health food workers who make our existence possible. We have to have those resources in the bill. So it's honor our heroes. There are heroes. Address the virus and put money in the pockets of the American people. A smaller package in light of the bigger one that we will do soon. And uh, we still have some opposition because there are at least 25 senators of the 50 some that there, of Republicans who do not want to spend one more penny on the COVID virus. So that's that's a problem. But we're trying to work it through and to do so in a way, again, that recognizes more help is on the way. We need to put, have the money there to purchase the vaccine and to take it from the lab to your own, from vaccine to vaccination and the states um, uh, getting what they need to facilitate that. And I think, well, I, I just got off before I spoke to you with Senator Shelby, who's a chair of the, the Republican chair of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate, and Nita Lowy is the chair of the Democrat, she's the Democrat chair in the House. And basically, we just said, let's move faster to get this, to get this done and put right. some of our differences aside uh, for another day. That sounds wonderful. Um, what about gridlock in general, though? Uh, as we move forward, uh, do you think we'll continue in this situation of gridlock? Do you think that uh, there are realistic ways to break it and, and nurture this idea? Let's work together for the common good. Well, let me just say, uh, this will sound the way it will sound. It isn't about gridlock. It's about obstruction. It's been about obstruction of whatever. Uh, when President Obama was in office, he, uh, the Republicans were going to obstruct whatever he did. Once, when we were in power, we were going to pass the Affordable Care Act. We did so many things, our the American Reinvestment and Recovery Act. We did so many things. But when, when um, 
when they won the majority, it was about they were anti-science, anti-governance, because they don't really believe in governance that much, and anti-Barack Obama. So they had a trifecta going to make sure that there would be no scientific reason for them to act as government because they don't believe in science, they don't believe in governance. And if, if Obama suggested, and he was very nonpartisan. Okay, so we can't do that. I mean, that's just not, why go to Washington to block what might be possible? And so I, I really, I, you know, people say, well, it's gridlock. It's gridlock because of obstruction. And you have to come respecting the institution that you serve in uh, that you're there to make compromises, to be transparent and bipartisan, to have confidence in your ideas, but humble enough to listen to other people. I think Joe Biden is the perfect messenger for all of this. He he believes in by reading, reaching across the aisle. He knows that if you're going to have a long-term sustainable solution, you should try to have as much support for it as possible. So he is our messenger of hope of trust, the currency of the realm. And his authenticity, his connection to the American people, especially America's working families, uh, is uh, such that I, I think that the antidote to gridlock is public involvement. This president, he said, public sentiment is everything. Abraham Lincoln, public sentiment is everything. With it, you can accomplish almost anything. Without it, practically nothing. I keep saying this over and over. In order for public sentiment to weigh in, people have to know. And I hope that that he will be he, President President Biden and Vice Are we excited about Kamala Harris? I certainly am, um, will have the opportunity to share with the American people in a respectful way how we all need to work together for the people. I so appreciate that you're speaking to us in front of the portrait of President Lincoln. That's such a powerful symbol. He served Uh, in the House. That's his picture in the House of Representatives. The young, the young Abraham Lincoln. Um, So um, let's turn for a moment to racial justice. You talked about public support and so on. There's a lot of pain and a lot of anger in the country about racial injustice. What is on your agenda and the agenda of the Democratic Party to ameliorate racial injustice? In our uh, For the People agenda and uh, cleaner government, the HR1, part of that agenda is our George Floyd uh, Justice in Policing Act, which is capture some of what needs to be done. The... Uh, we believe that we have witnessed a a lynching right before our very eyes in our country. We respect our men and women in blue who risk their lives to protect us, whether it's police and fire, whatever. But we do know that there are some improvements that need to be made. And this legislation goes to that place. Karen Bass, the chair of the, um, uh, the, the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus honchoed this. We thought it was reasonable and would be accepted by the Senate, but the Republicans there just said, we like the language, but we don't like the execution, so we couldn't come to terms. But hopefully we'll be able to do that now with the idea that we would have a presidential signature. Because the issue of uh, racial and criminal justice is permeates 
our society, we have to address it. I'm just using one example that addresses the uh, policing, the Justice and Policing Act. Uh, but uh, this is an issue of the highest priority in our caucus. And let me just say about our caucus, our caucus is over 60% women, people of color, LGBTQ. So when you look at our at Congress, and you look on one side, you see the beautiful diversity of America, and on the other side, not quite so. But on our side, you have the intellectual resources of people who have worked these issues over the years, and, and again, issues of racial and criminal justice very much uh, on the forefront of their knowledge, their experience, and their um, suggestions on how to get the job done. Thank you. So President Biden has made his bywords uh, build back better. And what do you think that means? And what will America look like a year from now once the vaccine is widely distributed? How much different will it be and how can we build back better? Well, I love the Build Back Better. Our name for our bill, which is similar to his initiative, was called Moving America Forward. Um, but in order to move America forward, you do have to build back better. And the essence of that is that as we build, we're not replacing what was there. We're taking it further down the road. It's, I think, uh, a perfect slogan. The issue of rebuilding America in terms of our infrastructure is, has not been partisan. That's why when we did our three initiatives, lower health care costs, bigger paychecks, building we thought we were going into nonpartisan issues, except because we, they, it didn't work then. But now it should, uh, because the American people all over the country, they know that we need to build back better. They need to know that we need not only roads and bridges, which have been the traditional infrastructure. We need, we need mass transit. We need high-speed rail. We need infrastructure for um, uh, communication. We need the... Um, uh, water systems uh, to be replaced. Some of them are 100 years old, made of brick and wood. Would you like to have a drink of water from that? And, and uh, again, the, in order for us to have the infrastructure that enables us to have remote learning, have telemedicine, to have commercial transactions, to visit with family and friends, uh, we need the infrastructure for broadband and, and the, uh, the grid and the rest that goes with that. So this is to take us into the future and to be, uh, uh, shall we say, benefiting from all that we have learned in technology and the rest on how to go forward. And it's, it's a pretty exciting prospect. It shouldn't be in any way a partisan. They may not like the green aspect of it, but there's certainly plenty other aspects of it. Uh, that they know. In other words, we're talking about driverless cars, things like that. We have to engineer the roads in that way. And I want to just make this point about that. When we do this, it is essential that we invest in our people to have the workforce development necessary. And that has to be women, people of color, Native American, veterans, rural Americans, everybody pitching in so that they not only have better paying jobs, that they have equity, that they can have companies as they learn all this that can uh, can benefit uh, from it. So it's a, a, a private sector initiative and a public-private 
uh, and uh, cooperation as we go forward. It's, it's pretty exciting. It's long overdue. We tried to do it under President Obama, but we were restricted by certain whatever on the other side. Now, hopefully the American people, when they know how they can be benefited, uh, will support that. And again, it has to be paid for. We're fiscally sound. How do we how do we um, go forward in a way that does not further indebt our children? But recognizing, recognizing the most important investment we can make is education, early childhood, K through 12, higher ed, post-grad, lifetime learning for our workers. Nothing brings more to the treasury than education. Nothing brings more to our economy than the fullest participation of everyone to his and her uh, best advantage. Thank you. So you started out talking about how our democratic system has been such an important strength in our role in the world. And uh, we have uh, have a special uh, knowledge to bring to governance and so on. How do you feel after this episode with the election? Um, how do you feel about our system? Do we need to do some systematic reform, strengthen our electoral system, our democratic system in any way? Uh, what, what kind of work do we need to do to better position ourselves for democracy in the future? Well, I think we are in a very strong situation. Uh, the, just the fact that the person who didn't win the election wants to undermine it just speaks to his own deficiencies, not the deficiency of our system. However, we do have assault from Russia and majorly and some other countries as well, and we have to protect the critical infrastructure of our electoral system. We've had resistance from the other side on that, even calling it critical infrastructure. Uh, but we have to do that. And we also have to uh, restore confidence in the system that every person who votes knows that his or her vote is as important as anyone else's. And that's why we have HR1, so that we, uh, we uh, completely under, reduce the role of big, dark, special interest money in politics. Because when we talk about suppressing the vote, it's important to note that one of the big suppressors of the vote is the suffocation of the airways that is done by special interest money, whether they want to stop any green initiatives because of their, whether they want to stop any gun safety initiatives, whether they want to it, it, that, that big dark money confuses the issue. They misrepresent the facts and people get confused and then they say, forget it, I, you know, I'm not going to vote. So again, I would say we have to protect the critical infrastructure. And part of that is the social media which is, uh, contributes, sadly, uh, to the um, undermining of our election. So we have to make sure that everybody cooperates and does not allow these bad actors and bots and all the rest to undermine our systems. That's what the election. The money piece of it must be reduced. I know if we reduce the role of money, we will increase the involvement of women and young people and all the rest in the political process. Lower the money, increase the civility, more people will want to participate. But again, we can't have a president of the United States saying that a system was rigged because he did not win. Uh, the, the irresponsibility of that uh, is, is really tragic and sad. And to see, our, um, I don't mean to be partisan in this respect, but you asked me and the Republicans to, to not just say it's over. A few have, God bless them, uh, but some of the others not. So we still have our work to do uh, this week. The um, 
Electoral College will announce, and then on the 14th of December, the Electoral College will vote. And then on the uh, 6th of, um, of, of January, it will come to the House, to the Congress, where we will accept the, the uh, results of the Electoral College. They're going to try stunts along the way, which is really sad. But let me just say how proud I am of um, Scott, uh, she, um, Maggie Scott. She's my, she's my appointment to the Electoral College. She lost her son to gun violence. Maddie Scott, you may know her. She's been involved with many of the apps, uh, the gun violence prevention groups. And Maddie is um, articulate and brilliant in many ways, uh, part of the Native African-American community in, in San Francisco, but nationally recognized as a leader on gun violence prevention. So she's my appointment. Each member of Congress gets an appointment to the Electoral College. Maddie Scott is my appointment. I'm proud. That's fabulous. Fabulous. Well, we are, we're so lucky to have some of your time on such a busy day. Uh, and so I just want to ask you one more question very briefly. We're going into the holiday season, such a tough time for the American people. What words of hope or counsel do you have for the American public at this time? It is a sad time. I mean, I, I've, I, miss hugging my grandchildren and I miss going to church. They're my two main misses. So uh, I know how sad it is for so many families across the country. Uh, but I want them to be hopeful, to know their power, to know their power, uh, to protect the power, to protect themselves. And again, to know that help is on the way. Um, that's for sure. I, I have always hoped that that would be the case. Now I'm sure that it is, uh, that no one is, uh, everyone understands, you can't possibly understand what goes on in a family's home, but we have some appreciation of what the needs are. And again, as we go into that period of time, over 280,000 Americans have lost their lives, many unnecessarily, uh, to this virus. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with those families. Millions of families affected by uh, infection, hopefully not in the long haul of it all. Uh, but I just, uh, I want those families to know that if they've lost their loved ones, we carry them in our hearts and our prayers. Uh, to those whose livelihood is about lives, livelihood, and the life of our democracy. That is what this assault has been on. And as we, um, as we provide solutions, they have to start right at the kitchen table of America's working families to address their needs and their concerns. And that is the first and what is first and foremost on our agenda as we have these debates. And that's why sometimes it's harder to reach conclusions if we're not all sharing uh, that perspective, but know your power to protect yourself, know your power to make a difference in public policy uh, so that this never happens again. Thank you, Speaker Pelosi, for bringing your power to benefit the American people and for your long, hard, dedicated work. Thank you so much for being with us. Godspeed. Thank you. And for all that's going to happen in the next few months to make things better. 
I appreciate your saying that. I thank you again for your leadership. Give my best to Rod. He has been a champion on infrastructure, as we all know, uh, and being recognized in the community for such. But everybody's role is important in all of this, and that's what I want people to know. Public sentiment is everything. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.